Hello and welcome to the Field Notes podcast with me, Brendan Roberts. In this first episode, I'll be talking with international speaker and author John Sane. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at his two brand new books, which he has just released. We'll also be taking a look at how to navigate these uncertain times that we find ourselves in with calm and with grace, and how going forward, we can reimagine our collective futures. So John, you, you're an you're a author, you're a keynote speaker, you're an international speaker, you're an entrepreneur, uh, you're a faculty member at Singularity, um, you also, uh, you got the future um future self here in south africa as well i believe future self academy yes, yes self that's academy. our that's my online business yeah. yes so um taking all of that into account can you just talk us through a little bit of your background where you were and what's led you up to this point now sitting in mohobas cliff uh, writing books? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> sitting in mohobas cliff wasn't part of the plan but yeah um well look i've always been an entrepreneur and the reason I've always been an entrepreneur is because I come from a single mom family. We didn't have money and uh, I was forced onto, into entrepreneurship because I wanted pocket money. And that sort of drive to look for freedom on sort of financial level as well as just freedom to move around because my mom couldn't give us pocket money. So it really drove me to find as many solutions as possible very early on. So I had my first job when I was 13, had my first business when I was 17. And so by the time I was 25, 26, I, was, I had like hundreds of staff. I had five or six restaurants. I had leases. I had retail stores, vending machines. I just had so much going on at such a young age. So you're 26, right? You said? Yeah. At 26, I was on my third restaurant, second retail store, 30 vending machines, <laughs> shoe distribution business. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah? And, and to be honest with you, when I think back on it now, I have no idea why I wanted to do so much. It was like too much, man. I don't know what the hell's going on with me. But anyway, I've always been ambitious. And then I went bankrupt, you know. At 30, I lost everything. And um, I had to move into my friend's second bedroom. I lost my fancy car. And uh, I was a minus 8 million rand uh, I owed. And it was a depressing moment, man. Because, you know, you, 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 co- you connect your life. Uh, especially as a guy, you connect your life to your success of money and, you know, your social capital and people know you and, you know, that's, it's important. It's important in your life back then. And then I went into a depression for like three years. And um, the thing with depression is that often you don't know you're depressed because it happens so slowly, you lose your confidence. And then all of a sudden, all your friends around you have also got no confidence. And all of a sudden you're just surrounded by the same people that are sort of, I guess, victims and also depressed uh, in their own way. Mm. But I got so tired of not being able to take a girl on a date. I got so tired of just not having any confidence. I just had lost all my vuma, you know. Mm. And so what I did was I started doing a lot of self-development, 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 just nonstop. I started really getting into it and sort of like applying the same ambition I'd done with business. I started applying to self-development. And so at about 30 years old, I started uh, meditating. And then from there, I started doing workshops and I started doing body healings and South American shamanic work and I just I, men's work. And just I just dived so deep into it. And um, I popped out the other side and 
I'd learned a lot. I hadn't realized how much I'd learned. And so what I started doing was helping organizations. Uh, sorry, I started helping small businesses uh, understand the mentality for change. And then I've always been an early adopter. Always, I kind of understood trends from a very young age. So I started combining those two. And, you know, I started helping small businesses. Those small businesses became big businesses. Those big businesses became governments. And now I work with governments around the world and the biggest organizations around the world, helping them understand the psychology required for the future and also categorizing and contextualizing the future so that they understand it better. They have more courage and more clarity to make decisions that get them to be future ready. Mm. Awesome. So, um, so leading up to that, okay, that was obviously now, as you say, in one of your books, that was BC 19. And now, and now, and now uh, COVID has landed. And uh, mm. as you said, in one of your videos, we were going there and now uh, <laughs> yeah. we're going there. there now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, before we dive into your books, I just want to let mm. everybody know that's watching that the books that we're talking about future now and future how are all freely available on your website. Um, I will also put a post up with a link for everyone and anybody that's within my friendship circle, I'll be sharing the books to them as well. So, um, so everybody, please go and check John's pages out. Uh, I will put all the links and everything so you guys can go and see it all. Thank you. Look, I think, I think it's really important to, to state that I made them free. Um, look, I make money from selling books and doing talks, but I yeah. decided to do all the books for free and all the talks for free because I think right now people are in incredibly uncertain times. And people are panicking and they're stressing. And I wanted to be able to add as much value to the world as possible. And, you know, this is not going to be lasting forever. But uh, in this moment, people will remember who helped them mm. and who was there as a leader to try and get them through the process. And I've seen some other incredible people step up to the plate. And I thought, you know, I've got enough money. I'm comfortable. I don't have to be able to push to make money now but uh, it's important to be able to give back so they are for free and all my keynotes about the books are also for free so it's there for everybody to be able to uplift themselves and to collectively uplift humanity oh, that's awesome so uh let's dive into the books quickly so you've written two of them so far in an incredible amount of time it's literally like a few weeks and you've already pumped two books out they are very short um by mm. like you know most other books but i mean super impactful and very just like lots to chew on look let me just explain that let me just explain that as well because yeah. i've written three proper books yeah you've so got foresight that proper well what's your moonshot magnetize and foresight yes and so those books each take me about six months to a year to write and so I've got a team of copywriters and, and, and researchers and publishers that it's a, it's a team effort, but it's always my thinking, my process, and then they fine tune it. We don't have time to write a full book, dude. Yeah. Just there is no time. Things yeah. are changing too quickly. So I was writing my fourth book called Evolution of Value. And when COVID happened, that book became irrelevant. So I decided that I couldn't wait and write a full book again. I had to bring out shorter, more impactful books based on what was required at that time. And so Future Now was based very much on right as it happened within the first three weeks of COVID, I understood that the mentality that we needed was the most important thing. So how do you get yourself into a place of calmness? How do you place you get yourself into a place of elegance so you can make decisions that are not erratic and not anxious and not out of panic? Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing I wrote. 
Then I started writing a book called Future How, and we'll go back to your questions now, but Future How was about, look, we are all trying to run back to the old normal. That familiarity is pulling us there. But let's not forget that that normal was a world that had us all exhausted, had us all on the brink of anxiousness and so many things that weren't great. And so the planet was taking strain. But because we like familiarity as human beings, we want to go back to normal. And so I started writing Future How to say, look, I don't think we should go back to normal. But how do we imagine a new world with a new socioeconomic system, with a new way to measure success, with a new way to be more conscious and aware about how we go and measure what we do and how this impacts the world around us? And I think it's of utmost importance that we can now collectively redesign and rethink the world that we need to move into. And I'm currently writing Future Next, which is about the tool sets we need to have as citizens, as consumers, as employees, as business owners, and as governance to be able to have a guidebook to how do we go about building this new world. Mm. Can't wait for that one. So um, I was going to, you've already answered my first question. I was going to ask you what the heart behind the books was. So you've nailed that one. Um, So let's jump on to future now, which is the first one. Uh, Yes. There's a beautiful it's, it's beautiful. And uh, the, the first thing is you say, face the loss of future memories, then you've got a YouTube yeah. video. And I want to link some yeah. of these to the YouTube videos you have, because I want okay. people to know that they can go and watch those as well. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so in your YouTube video, the, the, the very first one is the future has been canceled. Now that's a bit of a gut yeah. punch. Um, yeah. So can you just touch on that and, and what, you, and what your, your heart is when you say uh, face the loss of future memories? Yeah, look, okay, so what we've got to do first and foremost is that if your memories, whether they're from the past or from the future, they take up the same place in your brain. That's why they always say envision the future you want, because you must remember it as well as you do a memory. So that's why it's called a future memory. So if you can envision where it is you want to go, it's exactly the same as a memory. And so what we've done is we've all collectively had to say goodbye to our futures. So the future got canceled. And no, no matter how frivolous your future was, whether it was uh, buying a pair of shoes, going to a friend's birthday party um, at a restaurant or going on holiday and even getting married, all of it's been canceled. Yeah. So what we have to do is realize that whenever we lose something, we go through a process of mourning. And that mourning is broken down into denial, bargaining, anger, grief and acceptance. And I think that most people weren't expecting to have such a turmoil of emotion coming up for themselves, you know? And besides losing our future memories, trauma that we've all experienced sits inside our bodies, sits inside our consciousness, sits inside our hearts and minds for years and years and years, and only really starts coming out when we feel safe or if we have enough time to heal them. And so now what's happened is that we've got so much time on our hands, all trauma is starting to come up. And so people are getting angry, more angry than ever before. But the anger is not even from now. It could be from something that happened to you when you're 12 years old. Yeah. And so mourning our future memories, giving ourselves the time and the luxury and the awareness that these things will come up, give you the opportunity to deal with them rather than saying, my life's falling apart. Everything's terrible. This is the whole thing sucks. Ultimately, it's not. You just have to be able to become comfortable with the fact that all of us have lost our memories. So stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get over it. Heal them. Become aware of them. Process them. Integrate them. And then move forward. Yeah, 100%. So uh, 
talking about your survivor consciousness. This was an interesting mm-hmm. one, and I love it because you actually put little pictures in there, and I'm a very picture orientated <laughs> okay. person. So you've got yeah. the the mature versus the naive mindset, and then mm-hmm. in one of your videos, you actually talk about the drama triangle um, mm-hmm. and the creator triangle. So especially since mm-hmm. we've got a lot of young people f- watching now. Um, with regards to what the future is going to look like now, how do we apply that um, to actually be able to fall into that creator mentality? So look, there is no future. The future is what you created. There's no, there's no, there's no future waiting for us. It's it's what we are creating while we're getting there, right? So mm. that concept is like prepare, preparing for the future is actually a terrible thing. It's preparing in the now and then allowing the future to come. So there are three characteristics that make up the drama triangle one feeling sorry for yourself the victim two looking for other people to save becoming the savior and feeling sympathetic towards the world and three being angry with the world now if you're ever feeling sorry for yourself feeling sorry for somebody else or feeling angry with the world you're stuck in the drama triangle and the best way to explain to you is the news channels are all under 100 percent understand the drama triangle because every time you watch news guess what happens you feel sorry for yourself you feel sorry for somebody else or you get angry with the world yeah so the news cycle is all about the drama now what you can do is once you become aware of these emotions you can take victim feeling sorry for yourself and make it into creator where can i see an opportunity you can take feeling sorry for other people to look to ways of empowering other people rather than sitting and stewing and saying oh all those hungry kids Get into your car and go and feed them. Yeah. Like you don't have time to feel sorry for people when you're trying to empower them. And also stopping to be angry and starting to challenge yourself and challenge people around you. So ultimately what happens for me is that the drama triangle that we must become aware of that trap us in feeling sorry for ourselves, other people, and being angry with the world. And ultimately, you're not helping anybody when you're feeling in those three states. And look, our lives are broken up into multiple pillars. Your relationship with money, are you a victim or your creator? Your relationship with your body, are you a victim or your creator? Your relationship with social capital, your relationship with your career, your relationship with your friends. Every single one of these has got an opportunity for you to go dive deeper into and to try and find out whether you're a victim or not. And often what we do is we find ourselves in relationships that we complain that, oh, I just keep meeting girls that I have to save. Or I have to keep meeting sorry guys that I have to save. Like a girl might say that, right? But the truth is, those people were created by you. Because you went in there trying to save people. And now you found a victim. Because a victim needs somebody to save it. And then what you do is, while you're saving them, you become angry with them. And so like, hang on, you're in your own drama triangle. And so this can apply to money, your body. I mean, there's a million things you can apply it to. So the reason it's important is that COVID-19 has triggered us on our very personal survivor consciousness on all these pillars because now what's happened is now you have time to sit at home and now you can think about these things and so it's really important for you to become aware of them so you can shift them and integrate them and recalibrate them yeah and then i see directly after that in your book you then tie it over to uh, your your mentality your physical state and your and your emotional state which is something that uh, my personal life coach is like very he's very heavy on that and he always makes sure that I check in with myself on those things and then also money and it's just like you say we have to apply that to the, all those areas of our lives so um, I would like to now speak about future how because that's the next one now 
so this one was quite an interesting one because now you went from uh, sort of like a, a framed narrative towards like people looking at themselves and understanding the process of mourning and that to what it should look like collectively. Um, so you've got here reimagining our collective future and, I've, and I highlighted the collective part, especially being, you know, on the on the collaboration side with being, you know, an influencer and that. And you did this one in collaboration with Iraj Abedian as well. And he's a very well-known economist, uh, you know, both politically and in, this, in the um, uh, private space. sector, in the economic space. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. with regards to this, um, you were talking earlier in, in the triangle. So you were talking about like how the collaboration and, and being philanthropic. So actually going out, realizing that instead of complaining about it, we can go and do something about it. Yeah. How do you think that's going to look going forward, actually becoming a more, you know, collective community with each yeah. other? So look, before we talk about that, what I think what we need to do is realize that we as human beings are made up of stories and memories. These stories and memories create narratives and these narratives are the lives we live based on these stories and memories that we have. And so where do these stories come from? The stories come from our parents. And where do their stories come from? Their parents and their parents and their parents. And so what happens is we have the society that's created the norms that we all got to live. And the best way you can see this is when your daughter says to you, not that you or I have a daughter, but if a daughter says to the mother or father, mom, dad, I want to be an actor. And the mom, dad say, no, 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 don't. You want to be a doctor yeah. because their parents are like, you can't be an actress. Just go and be a doctor rather. And what, what they have done is that in the world that they come from, being a doctor, being a lawyer, being an engineer, being all these degreed jobs was the successful thing to do. Yeah. And so what we do is we live out these narratives without even asking whether they're true or not. And so one of the narratives that we all can agree is rubbish is slavery. Yeah. And guess what? 150 years ago, slavery was normal. Was, everybody had a slave. Even the slaves thought it was normal. Yeah. And 120 years ago, we had women not voting. Just didn't vote. That was the narrative. And so what we've got to realize is that the narrative we're living now is the indoctrination of the economic system that says to us, growth over everything else. And if you're not growing at this percentage, consistently you're a failure that is a rubbish narrative it's an impossible narrative to live mm. and so what has happened is that we have all bought into it collectively because that's what happened around us so the news drums it into us society drums it into us our parents drum it into us without them even realizing that it's a narrative that they're practicing that doesn't even last right now so we've outgrown that narrative so what does the world post-COVID-19 look like? Is it more philanthropic? Is it something that's more stable and more conscious and more aware? The answer is it should be. And who's going to make it so? We are. Yeah. Because who else is going to? And so what we have to do is open up conversations around it. Share the idea of it. Only buy from businesses that are not ruining the earth. Like I love Nutella, but I will never buy Nutella again. <laughs> Why? Yeah. They have palm oil in it. And palm oil is ruining the forests in Indonesia. So I can't buy, I, and I'm also plant-based, so I, I can't eat animals. Why? Because I understand that animals have emotions. And also, 
the farming of animals isn't good for the world. So as consumers, we must become activists. Yeah. We must start sort of drowning out or starving out the businesses that are not practicing this consciousness around the planet. And so that's the first thing we should do. The second thing we should do is not work for businesses that are, do not have a good ethos. Why would you? And you shouldn't do business with other businesses that don't have an ethos. And so my, I never work with cigarette companies. I don't care how much money they want to give me. I don't work with alcohol brands because I don't believe in what alcohol does with their marketing. Their marketing is all about being cool when you drink some whiskey. But meanwhile, all the issues inside townships and all the wife beatings and all those things are happened because of alcohol. But then they go and market it. So I'm anti that. So we all have to become activists in our own right. So post-COVID-19, it's our choice. That's why I wrote our collective future and our, how we must reimagine it. Because look, we're adults. We must wake up. We must create a groundswell of change because that's what Greta Thunberg did. Mm. That's what the, um, the gay marriage movement in New York was a groundswell. Nobody from the top said, okay, gays can now get married. There was a groundswell. Yeah. And what about veganomics? Groundswell. And what about the Me Too movement? Groundswell. So it's our opportunity. And guess what happened when Egypt was on their, um, there was the Arab Spring, you know, seven countries in, in, in North, America, North Africa and, and the Middle East went through a whole bunch of like overthrowing the government. Why? because communication is now held by the people through Facebook and through WhatsApp. And so we've got the opportunity now to have a louder voice than ever before. And so we have to stand up. We have to move forward by building a new conversation that says, look, 90% of the world's population is not getting richer. The top 10% are getting much richer. Yeah. There has to be something to change. And so we have to get to the point where we change. And so I don't like people saying, well, never change. Well, it won't change if you keep saying it never changes. Yeah. And slavery ended. Women started voting. Children are out of labor camps. Apartheid's not here anymore. And when those things were happening, nobody thought they would not end. They ended. So we must stand up and be activists. And so that's why I'm happy to do these calls with you and as many as I can, because I want to start a movement around it and say, guys, wake up. Wake up. We're living a narrative that's outdated. Yeah. We all don't need 85 pairs of shoes. We don't need that. You don't need it. Stop being ridiculous about it you don't need 14 louis vuitton bags you don't even need one to be honest yeah so we don't need to bring about that concept that of our worth is connected to brands yeah and if you watch anything that i do i never wear brands because i don't need to establish myself connected to a brand so when i see somebody wearing brands everywhere they've got no self-confidence and they'll say to you i'm off the quality they're not they're often needing to have a collective or a connection next to a brand so look Ultimately, we need to take responsibility for the world we live in. We need to grow up. We need to become conscious and aware and sustainable and trustworthy and transparent. And it's up to us. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And, um, you know, it just it all ties in so wonderfully. And the one thing that I do really want to ask you is because, you know, now you, you say it in a lot of your videos and I've heard it in a lot of your other um, interviews that you've done where you say we're on a level playing field now. This whole thing is kind of just like doof. So, you know what took a, a huge swell previously we can now actually you know approach that thing head on now um being a collective community 
but the one thing I do want to ask you is, since we've now been completely catapulted into this fourth industrial revolution, this digital age, which was creeping up on us, but now we've just been totally just thrown straight yeah. into it now. Um, you said that the, the, the media is, and, and we know that, that they play on the victim mentality, the, the, the drama, they play on all of that. YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all of those things. The impact, what do, you, what do you see the impact being and how can we actually, as a young community going forward, not play into that victim mentality when we are looking at things on Instagram and YouTube and putting out stuff like this? Okay, so great question. And I want to always remind people that technology is not bad. Hitler, as well as Roosevelt in America, used bridges and trains to build their country. Hitler did it with hate and Roosevelt did it with love. It's exactly the same thing. Is a surgeon's knife can come in to kill you or save you. That's, it's just the way you use it. So social media and media is not bad. It's what you choose to buy into what you're addicted to keep watching and what value you want to put out into the world. Yeah. And so for me, it's, you just have to become responsible. You have to become an adult. You know, it's like saying, I can't stop eating chocolates. What, what are you saying? Well, i just keep buying chocolates and I keep eating them. Well, I mean, well then don't because you have to be responsible for it. And media is exactly the same thing. So for me, that part where you brought up in future now about your state about your emotional state, your physical state, and your mental state, figuring out, you know, Mark Twain has a great saying, and I often use these quotes. He says, the two most important days of your life are when you're born and when you find out why. Love it. You know? And so that quote, when you find out why, or when you're on a mission to find out why, you don't have time to rubbish, man. You don't have time for noise. If you're caught up in noise and watching crap and sitting there on the TV, eating too much, watching too much, you haven't figured out why you're here. Because when you tap into that, Dude, you never want to sit down. You yeah. never want to stop. You keep going. And it's, it's an incredible energy of abundance, of clarity, of focus. And so my urge is to people is not, don't worry about social media. Worry about what you're doing on social media. Don't worry about media. Worry about what you're consuming. Because what you focus on becomes your reality. And often you see people that always complain that their bosses are assholes. Guess what? They leave one job and go to another job and their boss is a also yeah. and it keeps being the same thing or they keep going through the same relationships oh this guy's such a loser he never has money i keep finding guys that never have money it's you life's not happening to you it's happening through you and so when you pick up on this you feel so empowered but also remember it's an incredibly big responsibility to say i am in charge of everything yeah because god forbid i'm in charge of everything because then then i can't blame anybody then it's not the government, it's not social media, it's not Mark Zuckerberg, it's not, you know, and, and my latest word over the last two days or two weeks has been Muppets because people are complaining about things. And I'm like, why are you complaining? Just flow through, look for new ways. So just be more fluid in the way we approach things. Yeah. And so social media and media are not bad. Nothing's bad unless you want to make it bad. Yeah, I love you in, in, uh, in all of the 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 videos that you've put up so far i love how you always you never you never say that something's bad um, whenever somebody says to you you know pre-covid 19 in south africa was terrible you always say no it wasn't necessarily terrible or bad it just played its own part in the greater narrative of where we are now 
um, which I think mm. is a, I think so many people need to see everything from that perspective because then it it changes all those whys and whats into the how that you keep talking about. Which well is, done. I'm so happy that you watched all my stuff. That's great. I was on an interview I, the other day and somebody is like hadn't watched my stuff and I was like, why are you interviewing me? So thank you. Thank you so no, much. It's a I pleasure. Um, yeah, so much. There's, I, I, there's so many questions here still, and there's people Go, asking questions. So, um, keep going, keep going. Uh, are you sure? I don't want to like, yeah, I'm happy, bro. No, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying this. Okay. So, um, okay. One thing that, so I very recently within the last couple months, I've become very involved in the, um, addiction recovery space, um, which in this environment, what, from what we've seen is, you know, Pre-COVID-19, obviously things like depression and all those things play very heavily into creating this breeding ground for things like that. And then in your book, you actually reference to how we, just as being normal human beings, we're just addicted to this way of the past. Um, but how would, you, how would you approach the, the actual, you know, think, looking at things like the fact that alcohol has now been banned in South Africa mm. and, you know, cigarettes was banned as well. I mean, those are all addictive substances. Mm. So going forward, creating this, this community of love. I mean, you even made a video mm. about the 40, re the 40 reasons for love or the 40, 40 rules, 40, 40 rules, rules of, of love. love. Yes. Um, so how do we create a loving community to actually help people mm. that are in that space that's stuck mm. um, and that are actually completely dug down now because this is even worse than what it was mm. before for them? Um, going mm. forward, how do we actually approach those people mm. and, you know? Look, I think the trick is not to approach them. I think the trick is to figure out what you're addicted to and break those addictions. Yeah. And we are all addicted. You can be addicted to always wanting to be right. You can be addicted to always being guilty. You can be addicted to anxiousness. You can be addicted to marijuana. You can be addicted to alcohol, to porn. There's just so many things that you can become addicted to, right? Yeah. So the trick for me is, never to preach and never to like try and say, Hey, you, you should do better. What you should do is fix yourself to the point where people ask you to do interviews with them on Instagram. <laughs> what I, what I mean is you get to a point where you're so fluid that your actions are so loud that people are inspired to want to be around you because they see that you've seen something they haven't seen. And then, 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 just by the example of it, they want to change. Yeah. Because now they see that there's a potential of it. And so for me, there's a, there's a great saying. It says, your actions are so loud, I can't hear a word you're saying. And it's this exact point is that people with problems around us want us to fall into our best version and use that as an example to be able to come in and help them. Yeah, 100%. And so I'm not an... I'm not an addiction specialist. All I know is that I've been addicted. I've been addicted. I was addicted to weed, to marijuana for 15, 20 years. And I had to get myself into a place of such stillness, calmness, gratitude, and contentment, which was an everyday job, moment by moment. From the very first thing when I wake up in the morning, I start with a meditation, a journal, and a prayer all the way throughout the day till the evening and I end off with another meditation and a prayer. Mm. And to be able to cocoon that, that's a daily job. And so understand that if you just slip out of that, you can go back to old ways because your brain loves familiarity. It loves that comfort. And in my first book, I call it um, peeing in your nappy. Mm. 
You know, peeing in your nappy is for the first 30 seconds of peeing in your nappy. It's the best feeling ever because you're warm and you're soft and gooey. And after that, it's the worst idea ever. And that's exactly what happens to us when we fall into victim patterns or addiction patterns. The very first bit of it is amazing. And then you feel guilty, sad, angry. And so what you have to do is keep reminding yourself of what you feel like at the end of it. And then you come back from it. And it's just a matter of process of doing it for a while. And then it starts changing into becoming a new habit. So remember, we are made up of a mind. This mind is made up of a personality. This personality is made up of habits. These habits are made up. No, they're made up of behaviors. These behaviors are made up of habits and habits are made up of rituals. Mm. And so we have to check ourselves and our rituals every moment or every day to tap into our genius. And in that place, you start inspiring people to step up. Nothing else. Your For me, that's the best way to teach. Your genius pocket above your head. That's I right. I love this. I love that's this. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I just see everyone's like, keep going, keep going. This is this is too good. <laughs> okay, cool. So, um, mm. and you, I see you've got my my life my my life coach, my mentor. He's busy cracking himself over here. He actually said, oh, yeah, and you 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 covered the point. The very next point, you you actually covered it where he said, yeah, our biggest addiction is our addiction to our egos, and I think that ties mm. into. Uh, mm. into a very good point that you mentioned in one of your mm -hmm. videos where you actually, you were talking about the the need for, or, or consumerism over the need mm. for consumerism, um, mm. which I think, how, how has that changed in this environment now? I think so many people have realized that what they needed before, they don't need anymore. Like, for example, your car. <laughs> like, cars have all of a sudden become ridiculous. Because remember, and, and well, I'll come back to your question, but like if we don't have to go back to work, why do you need a car? And why does it need to be so expensive? And all of a sudden, that's changed on its own. But look, there are different markets in the world. And so you have the mature awareness market, the emerging market, and the less affluent market. The whole world splits up into three markets. The mature awareness market is underpinned by something called the guilt-free consumption uh, trend. Everything they do is based on is this having an impact on the world first and then making the consumption. These are the markets are riding bicycles, wearing normcore fashion, eating vegan food. These are the people that are saying we don't want to harm anything as we move forward. Then you have the emerging markets. These markets are Africa, India, China. They've just started making money, just this generation. And so they want to splash it and show the wealth and be as loud as they can with their Louis Vuittons. And then you have the value-driven consum consumption, which is the less affluent world. And so each one of these markets dictates consumption differently. So it's not about saying, how is it going to change? It's unfair for me to say, look, last um, generation, your father rode a bicycle. Now you want to drive a GTI. How dare you? You shouldn't. You should also ride a bicycle. That's not fair. Yeah. That family, they've never had a GTI. So, of course, the guy wants a GTI. And guess what I was? I come from a poor background. All I wanted was an M3. And I had my M3. Mm. So you've got to allow people to have the ability to have the consumption that they want at that stage of consciousness and then allow them to move away from it. But again, look, the best way I can inspire people not to want to go and buy 18 pairs of shoes and another M3 or another Porsche is, look, I'm a cool guy and I don't have any of those. Yeah. I'm a cool guy. I've got social capital. I can go to places people know me. I'm making a lot of money. I live in a nice place but I don't need to be conspicuous about my consumption. And so I need to show people that there is another way. I can build social capital without having all those brands and bling dropping off me. And so again, it's just about me inspiring them. So how will it change? It just depends on the markets. Mm -hmm. Will it be better? 
I absolutely hope so. Yeah. And I really hope for like the young people um, that are on our groups and stuff like that, because you see so many young people getting stuck in this in the social capitalism, as you've spoken about and how, you know, we've now started measuring this wealth of success on a completely different scale these days where, you know, your success is measured on the color of the Lamborghini that's parked in your garage and, you know, which beach your holiday house is on in the Bahamas. Um, so I just, I love how your book takes that and just flips the whole thing over and says that that's not what we should be basing our wealth on. Um, and I think, Look, I think, I think it's an aspect of our wealth. Yeah. I don't think it's bad. I yeah. think if you elevate other aspects of your humanity and celebrate those as well, you'll see that there'll be less need to just attach yourself to a Lamborghini and a house in the Bahamas. Mm. Look, I want to go to the Bahamas. Uh, I, I don't really like sports cars. But look, if I go for a swing and a drive in a Ferrari, it's always thrilling. It's fantastic. I don't want to downplay capitalism. I want to downplay that capitalism is the only thing. Yeah. We have so many sophisticated aspects of our personalities. And if we can celebrate some of them besides the car you drive, you just have a more balanced society. And so we also can't be driving ourselves to death just to have that car. How many people have stretched themselves past their budgets so they could just have that car? Why? So that people outside could see them. And so, you know, ego is the best way to explain the ego is going to a restaurant, knowing what you want to eat and letting somebody else order your food for you. That's ego. Because it says, I'm not going to worry about what I want to eat. I'm going to eat what everybody else thinks I should eat. And so ultimately, what we need to do is celebrate more aspects of ourselves. Consumerism should become planet-centric, not consumer-centric. It should be looking after the environment we're in, not kill it just because we want to be in a fancy car. Yeah, and I think we, we're starting to see the... the the impact of of this the lockdown nationwide where you know the canals in italy are starting to become clear you know we're seeing there was a video of like thousands millions of birds in uh, cape town landing on the beach which was we, we haven't seen that in forever yeah um so it's just it's wonderful to see and I, and I hope that people seeing that realize that we can make a change to actually keep that um yo look i think you are starting to see that because yeah. In Paris, Berlin, Bogota, and a bunch of other cities around the world, they've stopped cars into big parts of the world and in parts of the city. They're saying no more cars, just bicycles and walking. So we are starting to see that, you know, we are starting. To, and also remember, if we don't have to commute to work all the time because digitization of work is going to change everything, there'll be less pollution naturally. And if it's really going to be uh, uh, unsuccessful, the vaccination, and if the virus keeps mutating, we're also going to have an opportunity to not go back for a very long time, which means that our habits will change and become more um, digital and become much more uh, connecting over like this rather than having to travel somewhere. So I think it's going to happen naturally. And I think that we're starting to see this uh, and see how wonderful it is. You know, yeah. every industry, every industry from doctors to ballet, to yoga, to gym, to school, to pizza making is all gone online. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, well, what's your client going to say? Uh, no, I want you to come here. Well, I can't come there. So, I mean, like, what am I going to do? So, yes, do we lose some interaction? Yes. But you know what else happens? We become borderless. We can have clients all over the world now. We don't have to be now just confined to, like, 
you know, somebody asked me the other day, what about SMEs? You know, small, small to medium sized businesses. And I said, the biggest problem with small to medium sized businesses is they think like small to medium sized businesses. What you need to be doing is building a business that's global in mindset. Because if you, if you just worried about your little area that you want into service, and now that's been taken away from you, have you not heard of the internet? Like, there's 5 billion people on the internet. All you have to do is find 0.0001% of them to pay $1 a month, and you're going to be living sharp for the rest of your life. And so you've got to understand is that even that question that says this customer, I'm like, don't worry about this customer. Worry about the, the customers. And how can you service all of them? Yeah. Because now all of a sudden we have this incredible opportunity to now be accessible to the whole world. I mean, today I was on a documentary with Amsterdam this morning. I spoke to clients in 11 different countries on one webinar. Yesterday, I was at Saudi Arabia, all sitting on my mom and dad's farm. So you understand is that the question shouldn't be focused on this. The question should say, what do I do here? Like, what's that opportunity? Yeah, holistic. I don't start servicing a global market so that I don't keep asking my SME clients. Your SME clients of history, dude, start looking up there. Look at a global market. We can all sell something globally, all of us. Sure. Can't, can't, can't say or, or add anything to Look, that. Hey? I saw I saw a question earlier. Yeah. Um, from Jan Gravenstein. Yes. Once you understand the value of minimalism, you'll be free. Absolutely. But when you choose minimalism from a point of abundance, not scarcity, we mustn't trick ourselves into going. I don't need a lot. We must be. I can have anything I want. I choose to be like this. Because a lot of people get trapped in the idea that, you know, consumerism is bad and money's bad and I don't need a lot. And I disagree 100%. Why? Because if you could be more abundant, is that you could make more money, you could help more people. Yeah. Doesn't mean you need to spend it on a car and a house and 15 houses. And look, you could help more people. So for me, is I make good money because I'm earning dollars around the world. But you know what else is I don't have costs. Because I've created a minimalist life. It's not having a minimalist life with less income. It's about having huge income, having huge impact, and then utilizing that money in an elegant, calm way. And so I help animals. Animals for me are very close to my heart. So I try and help as much animals as I can. Now, if I was just minimalist, just for the sake of being minimalist, I wouldn't have money to help animals. And so remember, be abundantly minimalist. Mm. Don't be scarcity minimalist we fall into a trap of saying i'm a minimalist but actually what you're doing is i've given up in trying to make money because it's too hard so i'm just going to fall into minimalist now i don't know if that's you Jan. so i apologize if that isn't you but just don't get caught up in that trap oh no so uh Jan, Jan's my my mentor and he's oh, okay, he's saying sorry. it because he advocates it very heavily okay great yeah. Great, 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 great. so uh he he, Spot on. Okay, good. he, yeah, he good, pushed Jan. me he pushed me in that direction very quickly so yeah. yeah. Um, there's one. There's one other question. Yeah, I think this one might be a little easier to answer than the other one. So, uh, what is the future? Uh, yeah. What will the future of travel look like, and how do you see duty-free business adapting? That's <laughs> a very specific question. Um, look, travel right now. We have no idea one when we have a vaccination. Two. The virus is not mutating. Three, herd immunity. Four, bankruptcies of airlines. Five, 
how much money is going to be in the economy when we come out of it. So there are so many things we have to wait for. We saw Comair go into bankruptcy just a few days ago. We've seen many international airlines go into bankruptcy. So when we come out, I don't know who's left standing. And also right now, somebody said to me the other day, if the airport's open, will you come back to Dubai? I said, not straight away. I don't know what's going to be on that plane, dude. I don't want to risk it. And then I, let's say I land in Dubai and they pick up that I've got something, right? Yeah. And I go into quarantine for two weeks. Are you mad? What, what am I going to do that for? Yeah. So the future of travel is up in the air. Excuse the pun. Yeah. It's up in the air, dude. I mean, because you don't know what's going to happen. And so obviously, all duty-free is attached to that. So if that doesn't pick up, that's not going to pick up. But just one thing. I travel a lot. Every bloody airport looks the same. <laughs> same. It's true. Same product, same suite, same. It's ridiculous. That should change. Because there's no, everything's about shopping. It's like, enough. Can I just relax? Yeah. I, I travel business, so I'm always in a lounge. I'm lucky because I travel so much. But if I was just traveling a lot and I wasn't in business, you're just inside a shopping center all the time. So airports need to change anyway, man. It's like, it's tiring. It's boring, actually. Yeah. All that stuff. How yeah. many aftershaves can you flip and buy? <laughs> or gold camels if you are in Dubai's airport. <laughs> there we go. Um, okay, so I think, I think, that's 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 a you know we've covered it now um we definitely have to do this for future next uh if you if you have me i'd love to do this for future next however you being an author okay i cannot have this with you without asking you on behalf of everybody else i love reading so you have your three books which by the way are amazing to actually hold they are so well made um, Thank you. So, other than your books that you've written, mm. your five top books that you would recommend as must-reads for people right now. Look, I've got two top books. Okay. I don't have I, a five. It just I got I've read so many, but two of them. One of them is called King Warrior Magician Lover. This is for men, and also women. If you want to read to understand what's wrong with men, this is a great book. Men to read this book, to understand what's wrong with us. Because what happens to us, we play archetypes out. Fantastic book, because it's given me so much insight into the light side and the dark side of my psychology as a man. The second book is Shantaram. Do you know Shantaram? No, I haven't heard of it. So Shantaram is about a guy that um, robs a bank and then goes and lives in India for 20 years in the slums, an Australian guy. It's half true, half fiction, <coughs> half true, half fiction. It's the best book I've ever read. read. So Shantaram, King, Warrior, Magician and Lover are my two favorite books. I carry this book everywhere I go. I read it constantly because as men, we are challenged to step up to women's power. And women are power. And now we have to compete. And they're chowing us left, right, and center. And it's not even about competing. It's about holding space. It's about being both strong and fragile, about being both driven and kind. Whereas our fathers never had to play these roles. So this modern masculine that's being asked of us to step, un step into has never been shown to us. Nobody showed it to us. So we don't have enough mature, sacred, masculine characters around us to give us this insight of what we need to step up to. So this book for me is my sort of go-to to keep reminding myself of my own masculinity. 
Awesome. Well, I hope everybody goes and reads those books. It definitely looks like that one. You've been carrying it around quite a bit. Yeah, you can see. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's showing some age now. Um, yeah. But John, thank you so much. This was Pleasure. absolutely wonderful. It, it just speaks to to the love and the collaboration and just everything that your heart is for, um, which I think if anybody picks up any of your books or listens to any of your stuff thank you. or watches any of your videos, they'll see it like that. Um, thank you. So until the next time, yeah, I look forward to waiting it. for the next book with eager anticipation. Thank you. And okay, um, great. I'll put up, I'll put up everything for everybody to see. So I hope you see lots of people coming to come and download the book or the books. Thank you so much, brother. John, Be well. thank you so much and enjoy your evening. Ciao. Cheers. Ciao, you too. Bye-bye.